morning, everyone. Glad to see so many of you here at this service and a very special welcome to all our guests who have joined us at this service, whether on-site or online. And I pray that all of us will indeed have a very meaningful worship service today. On this fourth Sunday in Advent, which is also Christmas Eve, we will be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 11. Now, this passage contains deep theological insights into God's purpose within history and the way that God relates with human beings. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God specifically declares to David, Your house and your kingdom will endure before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, this verse holds significant, profound significance in the Advent narrative because it foretells the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would be born from the house of David and whose kingdom would have no end. Now, let me set the scene for us. Second Samuel chapter 7 describes what could possibly be the best days in the life of King David. You know, David was settled in his palace and the surrounding enemies were no longer an immediate threat. Presumably, the battles that described in 2 Samuel chapter 8 had already taken place. It does seem to be the case that when the Davidic covenant was instituted, David had been a successful, successful, successful king for some time. Now, it is not David's kingship as such that is being affirmed here, but the validation of the Davidic dynasty. Now, 2 Samuel chapter 7 centers on a word play, the word house. David is not to build a house, a building for God, but God will build a house, a dynasty for David. And today we are invited to pause and to reflect on the significance of David and his dynasty in the Bible's salvation history. Join me in prayer as we commit this time to God. God our Father, we thank you that you are a God of love. And Father, on this final Sunday of Advent, help us, O oh God, to reflect on the magnitude of your love that was made manifest in Jesus Christ. Thank you that the Old Testament is full of glimpses of your plan to redeem your people and to restore them into a relationship with you. May we understand how great your love is for us because you are with us and nothing is too difficult for you. Thank you that Jesus came to give us the gift of eternal life through the salvation that only you and you can give when we believe in your Son, Jesus, repent of our sins, and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, for your immeasurable gift. And now as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, may we hear with joy your special word to each of us today. Speak. Lord, for we, your people, are listening. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Many years ago, after returning from my first missions trip to Indonesia, I felt led to serve God full-time. You know, I had that very noble desire to serve God in a full-time capacity. But my good intentions turned out to be a nightmare for me. 
I couldn't understand why my parents, who were very young Christians then, would object so violently. Now, after two years of waiting upon the Lord, it dawned upon me that my parents were not ready for my decision, and neither was I. By God's grace, my parents eventually gave me their, best, their blessings to serve God full-time. And in fact, shortly after I graduated from my theological studies, my parents even encouraged me to pursue the pastoral route. Now, how often do we find ourselves with aspirations that seem honourable, only to discover that God has a different plan for our lives? Now, I had good intentions to serve God immediately after that first mission trip. But God had better plans for me. God knew that I wasn't ready for the long haul. And there's so much molding to be done in me. Now, on hindsight, had I insisted on my own way then, I might not have lasted till this day. Church, let's be attentive to the divine interruptions that may guide us towards God's greater purpose. Our text today unfolds the tapestry of man's good intentions and God's divine design. You see, as David faced good times, he reflected on the blessings and the grace of God. As David meditated on the law and on the Lord, a dream was born in his heart. You see, when David saw his house in comparison to the tent that the Ark of Covenant rested in, he came up with a good intention. He wanted to build God a permanent dwelling place. Now listen to how the story unfolds in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here am I living in the house of Sida while the ark of God remains in the tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Now here the narrative introduces the theme word in 2 Samuel chapter 7, house. This word house occurs 15 times in this chapter, and it recurs several times in the next few verses, all referring to the physical structure, either a royal palace, as in verse 1, or a temple. Now, David's desire in verse 2 contrasts the house that he lives in with the tent where the ark of God resides. Now, basically, David felt that, like, that he should do something to honor God. It wasn't right that he had a palace of fine wood while God had a tent of cloth. You see, the ark is now housed safely in a special tent in Jerusalem, but surely it could be better placed in a beautifully constructed permanent building. The timing seems right to build a permanent structure to house the Ark of God. You know, David intended to build a house for God, and on the surface, this, sound, this sounded good. It was a good idea. It was a noble desire. Now, David consulted Nathan, who who concurred 
and encourage him to fulfill his dream. Now, there's another important theme in this narrative, and that is what Nathan assured David in verse 3. The Lord is with you. Friends, as we prepare for Christmas, may our desires be aligned with the ultimate purpose of God, of Christ's advent. Today, are we building houses for earthly glory? Or are we preparing our hearts for the dwelling of the Savior? I'd like to draw some discipleship lessons from the contextual reading of our text. And I will be raising questions that center on the relationship between God and human beings. The first question is this. Can anyone repay God? Can anyone repay God? Now, David's desire seems to be to repay God for all that God has done to bring him to the place and position in which he finds himself. And friends, if we pay careful attention to our lives, we may discover that what happens to David may also happen to us. The same storyline can be traced in us. We decide one day to give back to church, to do something beautiful for God, to repay the debts that we owe to life. We have a good idea. We may even draft a plan, and our project seems to be the decent thing to do. Perhaps today we can point to the specific things in our lives that we attribute to the hand of God. Friends, do we know that we are ongoing recipients of God's grace that can never be repaid? Remember, no one can repay God, and we need not try. No one can repay God. No one can repay God because the ultimate gift of God is a saving sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 2 Samuel chapter 7 tells us that God is going to take charge. God is going to take charge of making a home. David wants to build God a house, and Nathan at first says, sure, go ahead. But then God shows up and tells Nathan to tell David to hold on. I will take care of it when it is time, God says. Friends, God's plans are not confined to earthly structures. They extend to eternal kingdom. Listen to this. Good intentions may not always be God's intention. Good intentions may not be God's intentions. So what was God's intention? Listen to verses 4 to 5. Verse 4. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Now here God speaks through the prophet Nathan, challenging David's intention with a question. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? You see, God redirects David's focus, reminding him of his constant presence and faithfulness throughout the journey. And friends, this is a divine interruption, a reminder that God's ways are always higher than our ways. 
You see, David had a noble desire to build a house for the ark of God. His heart was filled with good intentions. It reflects his heart yearning to honor the Almighty. But God had a different plan. Friends, in the busyness of the Christian season, let's be open to the divine interruptions. Sometimes God redirects redirects us toward his higher purpose in unexpected ways. Sometimes we find ourselves with noble desires to honour God. But like David, we need to recognise that God's plans may surpass ours. God, through the prophet Nathan, intervenes to redirect David's focus. Friends, God doesn't need us to build a fancy new building. God wants to build us. God wants to build us. Now, what's the discipleship question here? Who speaks for God? Who speaks for God? It is said that the prophet speaks for God. But is every preacher a prophet? And what makes one's preaching prophetic? Now David appropriately approaches the prophet Nathan and receives his blessings for the plan that he intended to implement. Did Nathan misunderstand God's greater plan? Or did he neglect to consult God before giving David the go-ahead for his plan? Well, the text does not tell us, but it reminds us that when we speak on God's behalf, we need to check in with God. Check in with God. We need to check in with God so that our message is indeed what God wants to say to his people. Now, what's the point here? Friends, God's intentions are always revealed to us through his word. God's intentions are revealed in his word. God went on to give Nathan the rest of his message for David. Let's read verses 6 and 7. Verse 6. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place, with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, following up on his earlier question, God reminded David that from the time of the Exodus until that day, God had dwelt with his people in a tent. It had been what God had purposed and designed for himself when he commanded Moses to build the tabernacle. Friends, the tent of curtains wasn't Moses' idea. It was God's idea. And in addition to all of this, God had a rhetorical question for David, which was the most important question. And the question was simply whether or not God had asked anyone for a house of wood. The obvious answer was no. 
In other words, God was telling David and Nathan that it was his choice and his decision on when and who would build him a house to dwell in. The Lord was reminding David and Nathan that he was the one who made the call. He was the one who made the call on how his people would worship him. Friends, God was reminding them and us today that he is the God who always makes his intentions known through his word to his people. And here's the discipleship question. Does God still speak through prophets? Now God comes to Nathan by night and gives the prophet a message for David. Now the text does not say why God did not speak directly to David. But God chose the prophet as the recipient of God's message to be God's voice for David and for all the people of Israel. Yes, God still speaks through God's prophets today. He sends messengers that are to be delivered for the good of his people. Friends, being faithful, being faithful in delivering the message is a responsibility of the prophet and therefore never modify God's message. God's message must be delivered just as it has been received for the benefit of his people. This morning, is there anything in God's word that you find hard to accept and to follow? Take heart, my friends. God's intentions for us are better than our good intentions. God's intentions are better than good intentions. David's intentions were good. The house for the Ark of the Covenant wasn't a bad idea, but it wasn't God's idea for David's work in his kingdom. Now, while David's intentions were good, God's intentions for David were even better. God begin, begins by reminding David of all that he had done for him and for his people. We see in verses 8 and 9 what God did for David in the past, his provisions. Verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. Friends, it was God who selected David when he was only a shepherd boy. It was God who had been with David everywhere that he had gone on in life. It was God who had delivered David from his enemies. It was God who promised David that he would make his name great. David wanted to do something for God. But God reminded David of what he had done for his people. In fact, while David wanted to build God a house, God's intentions was to build David a house. 
In verses 10 to 11, we see the promises of God. Verse 10, And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Now, in essence, God was reminding David that he doesn't need David to do anything for him. David just needs to allow God to do what God has planned and purposed for David. Now, God's intentions for David were so much better than David's intentions for God. You know, sometimes we, sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says no to our dreams and to our plans. Friends, when God says no, it is not to discourage you. He does so because he has something far better than we could ever imagine. This morning, perhaps your plans for your life have been shattered and broken. And you're wondering why. You're wondering why God refused to allow you to see your dreams fulfilled. Maybe you are disappointed with the way your life has turned out. Now let me challenge you to look at what the Lord has done for you. You may not have gotten all you wanted out of life, but hasn't God given you much more than you imagine? Has he not saved you by his grace? Has he not used you to accomplish his will. Some of you here had the privilege to teach children. We have many children among us today. You had the privilege to teach children who are now godly men and women. And I thank God for that, for using you for his glory. And here's the final discipleship question. Does God care about the details of our lives to provide specific directions. Does God provide specific directions? When Nathan received the message, there were no gaps in the story of God's plan for the future. It speaks of God's real presence in human endeavors. Friends, God cares about David and sets a plan in order for his future. And God cares about all his children. And he has developed a plan for each one of us that offers a fruitful future. What we are called to do is to listen for it. To note what God is saying to us. To listen to what God is saying for your life and for the lives of God's people who are under your care. And then having received it, to deliver the message to God's people faithfully and let God do the work of bringing the future 
to fruition. Now let me close with this story that talks about God's purpose in our lives and it calls us to pay careful attention to God's plans. Now one day a woodcutter took his grandson into the forest for his first experience in selecting and cutting oak trees. And these they would later sell to the boat builders. Now as they walked along, the woodcutter explained to his grandson the purpose of each tree is contained in its natural shape. Some are straight for planks, some have proper curves for the ribs of the boat, and some are tall for flagpoles. The woodcutter told his grandson that by paying attention to the details of each tree and with experience in recognizing these characteristics, someday he too would become the woodcutter of the forest. Now a little way into the forest, the grandson saw an old oak tree that had never been cut. And the boy asked his grandfather if he could cut it down because it was useless for boat building. You see, there were no straight limbs, the trunk was short, and the curves were going the wrong way. And the grandson said, we could cut it down for firewood. At least then it will be of some use to us. The woodcutter replied that for now, they should be cutting the proper trees for the boat building. Maybe later, they could return to that old oak tree. Now, after a few hours of cutting huge trees, the grandson grew tired and asked if they could stop for a rest in some cool shade. So the woodcutter took his grandson to that old oak tree, where they rested against its trunk in the cool shade beneath its twisted limbs. After they had rested a while, the woodcutter explained to his grandson the necessity of attentive awareness and recognition of everything in the forest and in the world. Friends, some things are readily apparent, like the tall, straight trees. Some things are less apparent, requiring closer attention, like recognition of the proper curves in the limbs. And some things might initially appear to have no purpose at all, like the old oak tree. The woodcutter said, you must learn to pay careful attention every day. You must learn to pay careful attention every day so that you can recognize and discover the purpose God has for everything in creation. For it is in this old oak tree which you so quickly deemed useless except for firewood, 
that now allows us to rest against its trunk amidst the coolness of its shade. Remember, grandson, not everything is as it first appears. Not everything is as it first appears. Be patient, pay attention, recognize and discover. Let us pray. Let's continue to allow God's word to sink into our hearts as we respond to him. What is God saying to you today? And what is God saying to you about your relationship with him? The Lord says to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Let's take a few moments to reflect on the hope that is embedded in the house of David. This promise made to David is a promise of redemption, salvation, and eternal joy that is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. Father God, we acknowledge that your plans are greater than our own and your wisdom surpasses our understanding. And just as you spoke to David through the prophet Nathan, we pray that your voice would continue to guide us today. Help us, O God, to discern your will and surrender our plans to your divine purpose. And like David, may our hearts be filled with gratitude for the ways that have blessed us and led us in the past. We thank you for the promise of a lasting kingdom and a throne that will endure forever, fulfilled ultimately through Jesus Christ, our Saviour and King. May we find our hope and security in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we come to the end of the Advent season and look forward to Christmas tomorrow, we lift up our dreams, our plans and our aspirations to you. May your Spirit lead us in the paths of righteousness, and may we trust in your timing and sovereign plan for our lives. We pray for wisdom, for discernment, and a heart that seeks after you above all else. May our lives be a testament to your faithfulness and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>